myself during the welcome. I'm Brad Tollison. I'm the associate pastor here, minister of students. And um, a lot of youth pastors call this Youth Pastor Sunday. It's kind of an inside joke for us um, because most youth pastors across the nation are preaching this morning because their pastors are on vacation. So here I am. And um, it's an honor. It's always a joy to be in the pulpit. I enjoy being here. Um, it's kind of, kind of my element. And, um, and so we're going to look at um, chapter 12 of Exodus. We're going to continue the series. That's one thing that I love about um, Pastor Josh is he goes through a series of scriptures and, and through books. And um, I love going through the, the series is with him. And, um, and I want to stay on track and stay true to the series. And so, so anyway, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. Um, here's the thing about Exodus chapter 12. We could probably go weeks, if not months, on just this one chapter. And so I've decided this morning to go a few hours. Just, just kidding. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and so some of you, even if you go back to the lake, it's going to rain today, so sorry. Um, but anyway, we're going to spend a few minutes here in, in chapter 12. Stories and experiences shape our lives. Um, think about your own life. Think about the, the things that have happened to you that you will never forget, that have shaped your life. As a youngster all the way up until an adult, there are things that happen to us that just kind of shape who we are. Um, maybe moving to a new location, uh, maybe getting that new job or that promotion, uh, maybe proposing to your wife that changed your life, uh, beginning the first day of college or, or holding your firstborn child. I'll never forget that, 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 that moment in time when I held Luke for the first time and he opened his eyes and I made eye contact with my bro. Um, and so, uh, and so we have just been awesome ever since. And so it's been, that was a life-changing event for me. Um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, God changed an entire calendar of the Israelites because of this thing we call the Passover. And so it's a very, very significant event in history. And I don't want to, I want to try to give it as much justice as we possibly can today. Um, so God changed the entire calendar of the Israelites. In the United States... Um, significant events happen that have changed events in history, and we've marked it on our calendars. And so we celebrate these different things. We take time each, each year to celebrate Independence Day, Labor Day, Veterans Day, and tomorrow we'll recognize, not celebrate, but we will recognize Memorial Day, those that have fallen. So these days are a time to remember of what happened in the past 
And they're also to look forward of what's coming next. And so there's, there's these different days and different times that have happened to us in the past, even, even our nation. In Exodus 12, we find God doing something on a much grander scale than the world has ever seen. The night of the Passover was probably one of the most dreadful nights in history. And all of the previous plagues leading up to that tenth plague was pale in comparison to what's about to happen. And so I want to kind of run through the plagues to kind of get us a kind of set the table, set the stage for this morning. And then we're going to kind of look at see what it might be like as an Israelite in those days. And so we look at the first plague. Aaron spreads out, a, out the staff over the waters of the Nile and they turn to blood. Water, the very source of life and the pride, by the way, of the Nile is now turned to a symbol of death, blood. The second plague, the staff spreads out and frogs come up out of the water onto the land. There's frogs everywhere. Who in here likes frogs? My boy, Luke, loves them. We went fishing yesterday, and he will pick out a frog among grass. I don't know how he does it. He goes, oh, look, a frog. And he just picks it up, and he just plays with it, puts it in his pocket, tries to take it inside, show mama, and she flips out and chases him out of the house. And, and so he found a little bitty baby frog yesterday, and he said, Daddy, can I keep it? But no, son, we can't keep it. Can we fish with it? Technically, yeah, but we're not going to do that, son. We're not going to sacrifice this frog because the fish aren't biting anyway. So we're, we're just going to... So frogs, who, who likes frogs? And imagine of them being everywhere. I mean, you couldn't step without possibly hitting a frog. And so slimy little creatures that they are. And the third plague is gnats. And at this point in time, the Egyptians concluded finally that this must be the finger of God. Gnats were everywhere. The fourth plague, we start to see a distinction between Egyptians and the Israelites. And we're going to kind of make that distinction today. The plague of flies. We can imagine these frogs are probably dying out, and then all of a sudden these gnats are taking over, and the flies start to come up. The stench was probably unbearable. Flies are covering all over the Egyptians, but they're not covering the Israelites. They're not covering the Israelites. The fifth plague, livestock. Livestock in Egypt die. The livestock among the Israelites, guess what? They're in the land of Goshen. They're untouched. The sixth plague, Moses throws some ash up into the air, and all of a sudden, all these Egyptians are covered in boils. Setting the stage for the seventh plague. If you have boils all over your body, let me explain what a boil is. These are pus-filled infections that cause bumps under your skin. Nasty. If you have boils all over your body, guess what? You don't want to get hit by hell falling from the sky. Because then you're going to have those things popping everywhere. I mean, could you imagine just the uncomfortable... I mean, we, we look at this and we kind of snicker, but just the devastation that they must have been going through at that point in time. So then you have hell falling from the sky, which, by the way, can tear things up. Our grand had a really good garden until hell came along and just destroyed everything in that garden. And then we have plug number eight. If the garden wasn't destroyed by the hell, it was destroyed by locusts. They, they eat everything that's green. They devour it. Plague number nine is the plague of darkness. 
and there is no electricity in that day. And so it's dark, and there's light of the day over where the Israelites are. All of that leading to the plague, number 10, when God says to Moses and Aaron, to, the ten, to, the, to tell Pharaoh, at midnight I will strike down the firstborn of every single house, every man, every animal, firstborn we will strike down. Over and over and over and over again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened toward God. He is resisting God. He is asserting his own lordship and submitting to lordship and not submitting to lordship of Yahweh. And so before we get into this chapter, let me open us up in just a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much once again for the opportunity, Lord, to open up your word. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave here this morning, we would have a better understanding of this chapter. We have a better understanding of not only your wrath, Lord, but your grace. Your grace that has bestowed upon us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this text. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, would open our hearts up and open our minds up to your word this morning. And as your name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. But look at verses 3 through 13. It tells of the institution and the arrangement of the Passover, particularly in verse 3. It says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Now, just give a little application here. Um, my boys, Luke and Lane, wanted a puppy. We resisted this as long as we possibly could until their aunt got a puppy. And it's like, oh, you just messed this up for me. And, and so they got a little puppy, and so my boys were like, come on. you know." So we got them a puppy. We, we, we broke, caved in, whatever, and got them a puppy. And we have tried to love this puppy as much as we possibly could um, through all the heartache and all the things that have tore up and everything and, and trying to, to train it. And, and, and so if you can imagine just for a second, you bring a lamb into your house as a pet for four days, and your children play with it, and, they, and they, they care for it, they feed it, they provide for it, and then they bond with it. And all of a sudden, God says in verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. After four days, you kill lammy. Imagine being a child of one of those households four days with this nice lamb and then mean daddy takes the lamb and kills it. And then he takes the blood and he smears it all over the doorposts. I mean, the devastation of that six-year-old is going to stay with him. It sticks in his mind for a long time. I mean, you go up to your, your daddy and you say, why did you kill this lamb? Why are you putting this blood all over the door? And the father would have to say, this little Jewish boy is a substitute. The lamb is a substitute. Death would come to our house and our family if this lamb did not die instead of one of us. And when you look son or daughter at the doorpost, you see the blood of the lamb there, and you can know when every other house in Egypt is crying because death has come, we have been saved because of the blood of the Lamb. That's the picture God is engraving into his people at this point in time. And this is the word that is used in Exodus 12, 13, 
we see a picture of a destroyer. Verse 13 says, The blood shall be a sign to you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. I will strike down the land of Egypt. The destroyer is going to come to every single house, Israelite or Egyptian. And I want to key in on that because I'm going to talk about the distinction there, the difference there in a little while. It's going to come to every single house, Israelite and Egyptian alike. No one is immune. All are sinners, all are sinful men, women before a holy God. So the picture we see here, the judgment of God is a serious, severe, significant way that God is going to deal with those people in Exodus 12. Ultimately, all suffering and struggle and death of this world is a result of sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, for creation was subject to futility. And so we see this. We see the, the, the sin and the destroyer that's going to come and the consequences of, of that sin. Verses 14 through 20 is the preparation for the celebration of the unleavened bread. Verse 14, it says, This day shall be you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. We go on down to verse 17. It says, You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I, bought, I brought your, your host out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations a statute forever. I think it's really interesting here. In these verses, particularly verses 14, if we go down to verse 17, the Lord is giving instructions to Moses to give instructions to the Israelites on how to remember and celebrate a victory that has not came yet. This has not came yet. It hasn't happened, and he's telling them to celebrate while they're still in slavery. I mean, isn't the word of God awesome? Isn't our Lord awesome that, that he can tell us, hey, this is what's going to happen. Trust me. Trust me. The Lord is wanting them to count their victory while they're in the midst of slavery. And I think that is very true for us as believers today. He wants us to count our victories in the midst of the slavery that we may be in to sin. And so we need to remember that. That it's about the blood of the Lamb. So in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our difficulty, I think the Lord wants us to count our victories. I think in the midst of our anxiety, of our fears, the Lord wants us to count our victories. In the midst of the sting of death, even the battling with sin, the Lord wants us to count our victories. Our victory over sin and suffering is not based on our feelings. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the blood of the Lamb. Man, we forget that. We forget that. We struggle and we push on and we, we, we get in this rut and we forget that, it, that the blood of the Lamb has covered us. It's covered us. Yes, we are going to struggle. Yes, you are going to sin. Yes, there's going to be death. But because of the blood, because of Jesus, we have victory. 
we have victory. You could just imagine. Think about the anxiety and the fear that's going through that land in that day. God has told the Israelites, this, this is going to happen. And imagine one afternoon, that afternoon, a daddy is, is, is spreading the blood over the doorpost, over the lintel there. And he sees his neighbor doing the same thing, and he walks over and he talks. And they're both standing there, and they're, they're talking. One of them looks at the other and says, man, I have to be honest with you. I'm really struggling with this. I mean, have you seen what the Lord has done to the Israelites and he's telling us to do this? Man, I'm really struggling with this. And the other Israelites looks at him and says, so why, why are you struggling with this? He goes, man, I, I, I haven't been a very good father. I haven't been a really, very good daddy. Man, I, I have so much hatred toward those Egyptians and the way they treat us. My heart's just not right. His neighbor looks at him and says, have you done what the Lord has required of you? I have. Question for you. Which one's firstborn son dies that night? Which one of the daddy's firstborn sons dies that night? The one that doubted? The one that was secure? Which one? Neither. Neither. Because of the blood of the lamb. That's all that was needed. Was the blood of the lamb. The victory over death is counted on the grounds, on the basis, on the foundation of the blood of the lamb. It is the object of our faith, not the quality of our faith, that gives us hope. So, sir, if you're struggling, it's okay. You have an opportunity to repent. You have an opportunity to seek forgiveness because of the blood of the Lamb. The victory should never be measured in terms of current circumstances, self-fulfillment, the absence of suffering, or even the present struggle with indwelling sin. Suppose an Israelite daddy had said this, I refuse to take part of this bloody ritual. This is ridiculous. I mean, really? We have to cut a lamb open and put this blood on the smear it all over? I mean, I'm not doing that. What's going to happen to him and his firstborn son? Death. Death. Suppose another Israelite is, daddy is like, you know what? I, I'm probably going to, I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to put it on the inside of the door. Because I want my house to look like all the other Egyptians. I don't want to mess my house up. I'm just going to put it on the inside of the door. You know, I may sprinkle some in the back, no, but nobody can see it because I, don't want to, I really don't want them to know that I'm really, really all the way into this. What happens to that firstborn son? Death. Death. Could that have happened? I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Lord had said that the blood was to be openly displayed where the world would, might see and know. But here is an Israelite ashamed of the faith of the way God has provided for his salvation. 
the, the angel of judgment and death will look upon the blood of the doorsteps and lentils and will not find it. This is what Matthew 10, 23, 32, Matthew 10, 32 through 33 says. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Our salvation, ladies and gentlemen, calls for an open stand for Christ, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. To be a secret disciple of Christ is an impossible thing. It's impossible. To be ashamed of Christ is to be unworthy of him. To refuse to confess him is to deny him. To deny him is to be lost. If we love him and trust him, we must openly obey him and take our, his side by him. As the sprinkling of the blood of the Passover lamb was on the doorpost, on the lintels, on the front of the houses, for all the world could see and know, so our faith in Christ must be open, it must be public, and it must be displayed. And it must be radical. And so my question for you, does your friends, does your neighbor know? Do they know? That you're a believer. Blood-bought. That you believe that Christ died for you. Do they know? Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? I used to do accident reconstruction before I surrendered to ministry. In accident reconstruction, we had, there was an accident, and it was really an awesome thing. It was kind of a forensic type thing. If you're into the CSI stuff, we'd have to do all that kind of stuff and everything and reverse engineer an accident. And what's really interesting about accidents is there's always a collision. And then you work your way backwards. So the point of impact is your, your starting point and you work your way backwards. So something has to happen Something has to change. A trajectory has to be altered. Speed has to be altered. And sometimes life-changing things happen in that moment, that crash. Has there been a crash in your life? Did something change in your life? And is there enough evidence that supports that that actually happened in your life? Something to think about. As we look at this chapter, chapter 12, it's something to really think about. The only people that were exempt from the judgment of God on that dreadful night in Exodus 12 were the people who believed that by having blood over the doorpost, they would be saved. Through faith, it was applied to them. It's not because, don't miss this, it's not because the Israelites were better people than the Egyptians. Don't miss that. It's not because there are better people than the Egyptians. It was because they believed in the sacrifices God has prescribed for them and they trusted in the blood of the lamb. It's all about the blood. I think there's a song. It's all about the blood. Christian victory is dependence on Christ who has purchased the victory on our behalf. If we look at verses 21 through 28, particularly verse 24, this is the celebration 
of the Passover. Verses 21 through 28 is the celebration of the Passover. And he gives some instructions here. And in verse 24, I want to key in on this verse. It says, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. Man, I love this right here. And you come to the land that the Lord will give you, future tense, will give you, and has promised you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of, of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed down their heads and they worshiped. Everything that is happening here be, then becomes about the next generation. It becomes about those children that are going forward. Remembering this victory that the Lord has given, it is remembering the victory that is theirs by the means of the blood of the Lamb that becomes the entire point of the celebration. Mom and dad, are you ingraining in your children who Jesus is? Are, 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 do they look at you and they, do they see that evidence that's there? And I'm a youth pastor. And so I have to work with youngsters and teenagers. And I have dealt with some teenagers that have just been angry. That have grown up in church. They're just mad. They're angry. They're confused. And this is what they'll say, Brad, Brad I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I come here and I don't see this lived out. I just don't see it. And that's disheartening for me because I, I, I'm like, you know, I know your parents. They come here. They attend. And then you get to know mom and dad. And you realize they struggle just like the rest of us do. And we have to work together as a faith family to mull over what it means to be a believer, what it means to raise our kids in a Christian home. And we all need to help each other with that. Because our children are watching us. They're watching us celebrate victories. And I hope those victories are godly victories. Verses 29 to 31 is the actual plague. Verse 29 says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock. Verse 30 says, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Verse 31 says, And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. I want to talk to two different 
groups in this room before I close. For the first group in this room is if you're an unbeliever, and let me, let me specify what that means. If you're uncertain, you may have grown up here, but if you're uncertain right now, only you know that. If you're just not sure, you're like, you know, I'm just not sure. This is for you too. But if you're just an unbeliever, you just know. And you're honest enough to say, you know, I just don't get this. In the passages we read earlier, there was a significant difference between Egypt and Israel. And we see the difference all through the Old Testament. And this is what will be said. Eat this. Don't eat that. The Lord would say, be like these people. Don't be like these people. Fellowship with these people. Don't fellowship with those people. And so there's these significant differences all through the Old Testament. The Lord will make and draw distinction, but when his wrath gets ready to pass through and go through Egypt, he chooses sovereignty to make one distinction between two. Is there blood on the doorpost or not? Is there blood on the doorpost or not? It pleased the Father to sacrifice the Lamb, His Son Jesus, not you, for your sin. Not you, for your sin. So if you would by faith confess your sins and trust and believe in Christ, and every one of us here who understands Christianity, those of us that are believers, we know and trust will say that are you right standing before God on the basis of not how clean we are, not how we manage our sin, but our right standing before God is based on the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you don't have to clean up to come to Jesus. You don't have to dress a certain way to come to Jesus. You may have came in here like, Brad, man, you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did this week. It's about the blood of the lamb. You don't have to clean up. You can come and confess him as Lord. Unbeliever and believer, the grounds of our victory over sin and death will be and must be about the blood of the Lamb. That is the gospel in Exodus chapter 12. That is the gospel. Motivated by nothing else than his love for his people, he gives his son to us. And this is the context of this chapter. This God being motivated not by these sinful Israelites in and of themselves, but my motivated by his love to love the people, to pursue them. Now the second group in here, the believer. How do we walk in confidence of our faith? How do we walk in confidence of our faith in an unholy land? In a place when you turn the TV on, all you see is sinfulness. In a place where there's seemingly just Less of us. 
How do we walk in confidence of the Lord? How do we do that? How do we, how do we walk in a way where people can see Christ displayed in our life? And so how does the sufficiency of the blood of Christ help with the woman who lost her husband? How does the sufficiency of the blood help with the man and the, or the woman who is struggling with indwelling sin? How do we do this? How, how do we walk in this world to every man and woman in this room, no matter how dark or sinful your past is, no matter how guilty your conscience is, no matter how filthy your past is, when you are trusting the blood of Christ of your life, you are saved in the presence of God and you're set free from the power of sin. Do you believe that? Because I'm going to be quite honest with you. There are some people that are struggling, believers that are struggling in some areas. Talked about a young man this morning that passed away. Confessed Christ. But just couldn't shake the sin in his life. Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's a threefold strategy. It's a very good one. But what's awesome is the victory's already been won. The victory's already been won. We just need to embrace that victory. The ultimate question today is, do you trust in his blood? Are you trusting in him right now? We leave this glorious truth behind and we begin to live our Christian lives like our acceptance before God is based on how we perform how often we, become, we come to church and how many good things we do. If we leave this truth behind and we just do those things. And let me get, let me get something straight here. Obedience flows in a relationship with Christ. Don't miss this. Obedience flows from a relationship in Christ. Your acceptance before God at this moment is still totally based on the blood of Christ over you not on how many times you come to church. Now, I didn't say you can miss out on church, but your love for Jesus is going to show on how many times you want to be with the, with the fellowship. Your love for Jesus is going to show how you give. Your love for Jesus is going to show your relationships that you have. Your love for Jesus is going to show what your friendships look like. Your love for Jesus is going to show teenagers, there's not many in here, you guys are all at the lake, is going to show what's on your playlist, what you listen to, what you watch on the screen. Your love for Jesus is going to reflect how you dress. Your love for Jesus is going to reflect how you eat. Our love for Jesus should be everything to us as believers in Jesus. Yes, we struggle. We're going to. But we need to have confidence in the fact that he's with us. 
and have confidence in the fact that his blood is spilled for us. We have access to God. When the adversary comes to you with condemnation, you trust with confidence in the fact that you are in the blood of Christ, free from condemnation. You have been forgiven by the blood of the sacrifice, covered by the blood. We have access to this God through Jesus Christ. What Old Testament saints long for we experience in a glorious grand way. And we need to have peace and rest in the fact that we're forgiven. Let's pray.